Good morning, everyone. What a blessing it is to be in church, uh, and what a blessing it is to have God's Word with us. So let's just remind ourselves that it is God's Word, uh, and it's the ultimate authority in our lives. So let's humble ourselves before we come to it, uh, and I'll pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, um, give our feeble minds strength as we come to look at your Word today, and help us to have discernment uh, as we hear your Word faithfully preached to us. Humble our hearts and soften it so that we can be molded into Christ-likeness when thinking about godly relationships with others and give human words to speech as you bring true words to us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So today we're looking at Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae. Um, so that is the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. Colossians 3, 1 to 19. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things, and these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you. Very clear. Thank you. Iggy has asked me to uh, speak this morning, uh, hoping it'll be the first in a series of talks, not from me, but from him and perhaps others later on, on gospel-shaped families. Uh, where's Iggy? Is, him. Is that correct? Good. Gospel-shaped families. Um, good title. Good issue. Uh, just pause a minute, Larry. Gospel-shaped families. So what shapes your family? What shapes you? No matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing, we are in the process of effectively being shaped, being guided, having our minds uh, uh, in, uh, directed one way or another. There are people who are paid massive amounts of money to do that to us. They're called advertising agency executives. 
and their task, more psychologists work for advertising agencies in Australia than work in private practice, according to the psychologist I heard being interviewed on television. That's astonishing. There are people who, who are intent on getting me to do something, not do something, buy something, go somewhere, look a particular way. They want to shape me. I don't feel it. My life is just being lived. I wasn't aware of that. And I bet you aren't either. You can go to a huge shopping complex, alluring signs. You'll be feel much better if you had this. You'll be much more appreciated and have more friends if you look like this. They're shaping my mind all the time. And in the background, there's this little tiny voice, little tiny voice way over in the background saying to me, Jesus says, and that little voice only occurs a few times and it, 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 it gets drowned out by all the other shaping that's going on. And in the end, the person you see in front, of me, in front of you now, in some sense, a Christian man of many years standing, sure, but someone who's constantly battling against being shaped. I hope you feel that because if you don't, you're in serious trouble. That sort of tension, that that. Call it temptation. That's a simple way of putting it. Now, shaping is a very interesting idea. Shows intent and, and working to a scheme. People have adopted some uh, uh, shape to their life and some programs and some objectives. I'll, I'll tell you one, which may actually help us. Some years ago, um, the man Steve Irwin, crocodile guy. Everybody heard about him? You have? You heard about crocodiles? Okay. Um, um, but uh, he, he was killed when he was scuba diving uh, up in uh, North Queensland and a stingray underneath him raised its spike, st stabbed him in the chest and, and of course he died. It, it was tragic. He was a very interesting man, very able man. But that wasn't the thing that attracted my attention. What attracted my attention was a little while later, his little daughter, Bindi, she's a bigger girl now, she's married now I think, but Bindi Irwin, uh, this little girl, about nine or ten years of age, had a piece of paper like this and she was speaking at her father's memorial uh, service after his death. And she looked at the camera and said very simply, words to this effect, my daddy wanted everyone to be a wildlife warrior. And when she said that, I felt a chill. We have four children, a boy, a girl, a boy, a girl. Here, this is Jason. I'll use him as the example. I thought to myself, if I'd have been killed suddenly when Jason was 10, what would he have identified in me as something of significance and of passion, such that it was so obvious to him that that was what was driving me? So you see the application coming, can't you? What about you? You say, well, Jim, I'm lucky. I've got no 10-year-old kids. Yes, that doesn't get you off the hook. See, what's the driving passion? What is it that you live and long for? What shaping has occurred in your life as Steve Irwin shaped his daughter's life to share the passion that he had for rescuing wildlife, which in, in and of itself is a noble thing. 
I'm glad someone does it. But is that what I want to die for? Do I give my life for that? Is, is, is that what I want to, how I want to form my children? Is that how my wife and I will look at the world at large? You see, when you come to Colossians, fascinating book of Colossians, we have at the beginning of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, and that's how we speak of a Christian person, we, are, we, ha- we were dead in sin, now we're raised in Christ, we're alive in Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are below. It's a fascinating passage. The, the way the, the language is, is put in the original, it has the idea of a constant theme. Keep seeking the things above. Keep setting minds on things above. This is how you live as a Christian. But all the time, my world is saying, don't do that. This, in one sense, this group this morning is quite a unique group. I reckon if we got out of our chairs and went door to door around the streets here, we wouldn't find too many people who would share our view. They would be nice people. They'd mow their lawns. They'd put their bins out in the proper order, recycling, green and garbage. And they'd probably even be nice to their neighbours. But they're hell-bound. They're showing the finger to God. What a terrible thing to say. Now, now, take your glasses off, friends, and see for what it really is. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are in Christ, those who are not. Those who are seeking things above, those who are not. Those who are setting their mind on things above, and those who are not. And it doesn't matter how you dress it up or, or present it in quite acceptable fashion, uh, fashion. Where is your mind and what has guided you to that view? See, this passage, Colossians 3, deals with us very bluntly. See, I wonder if when you got in your car to come this morning, I really wonder if you thought being here today would make the slightest difference to your life. I mean, seriously. It was a rush, wasn't it, getting... I was with Iggy and Lishy with their four kids. It's like living with a preschool. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. Terrific. There's never a dull moment. Okay? So you're doing all this sort of stuff. But if you just hit pause and ask the parents, where are you going and why are you going? I'm already meeting with God's people. And I'm expecting to meet God in his word, which is where we do meet him. The normal way that God talks to us is in his word. So when you think about it like that, I'm, I'm having my shower, I'm getting dressed, I'm having my coffee, whatever it is, grab the, the, the cornflakes, and I'm coming to church because I'm coming to meet God. I wonder if he's really happy with the way my life is being shaped. I wonder if he's really pleased with what I'm allowing to shape my life. Tim Keller, the American preacher, Um, has a wonderful little saying. I'll read it to you. It goes like this. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to 
when there's nothing demanding your attention. It's a long quote, I'll say it again. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. Once the kids have been born, do you start dreaming about getting back to work as fast as you can? I don't. I wonder why. What shaping has that produced that? Or when you see the advertisements for anything that money can buy, car, television, whatever, house, is that what you dream about when there's nothing else demanding your attention? It just sort of sits there, kind of um, on, on pause. And as soon as you've got a moment, yeah, you know, the views from that penthouse, the, 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 the ride in that vehicle, yes, that's what I, that's what I dream about. What have you allowed to, what, what happens if you never get that? Is your life ruined? If you never get back to work, if you never own the car, is your wife ruined? And you know what? All the time doing that, your version or your equivalent of little Bindi Irwin is watching you and taking notes. This is what it means to be an adult. To covet riches. To covet degrees. To covet property. To be well thought of by the neighbours. To be a person of influence. To have a lovely business partner. To climb the ladder. And there they are, the kids taking all these notes. You say, oh, that's interesting. Now I've learned something about Christians. Christians are no different to everybody else in the world. No different. But we're meant to be different. We're meant to deal with ungodliness. See, that, that deliberate obedience we're supposed to have in chapter 3, verse 1, yeah, raised with Christ, seeking above, that, that deliberate action we've got to take. But we come down to chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Wow. We've had a positive way of looking at it. Now we have the negative. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Never thought of that before. So the advertising agency is actually promoting idolatry because they want you to buy that stuff. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Where to put to death those things and to get rid of them. It goes right down to the bottom. Um, uh, do not, verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Everybody's the same. Jew and Greek, everybody all the same. And then he goes on later on, and now in verse 12, say, having dealt with ungodliness, he then is advising and urging the Colossians to live in the name of Jesus. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. That's the shaping that should attract my attention. 
Somebody, might, one of you might want to ask him that. Jim, in the view of this, if that's how you're supposed to be being shaped, how's it going, mate? You could ask him, how's it going? And if I'm honest with you, and I must be, I've got to say to you, I'm finding it hard. See, I'm very old. Actually, I'm probably very, very old. I don't know. And when I was your age, which is a million years ago, I thought, it must be great to be a Christian when you get older. Because you know how to resist temptation by then. You'll know how to sort of work out what God wants you to do by then. It'll be lovely being an old Christian because I can kind of retire from obedience. <laughs> how stupid was that? I can't believe how stupid you can be. It's harder in one sense because you get used to doing the wrong thing when you're trying to get used to doing the right thing. See, how do you struggle with compassion? Do you find hard to be kind? Humility, that's a big one. But God, by his spirit, wants to shape me that way. But the air that I breathe, the society that I swim with, metaphorically, they want to shape me like all the stuff at the beginning of the chapter. But God says, no, no, no. I have a better way for you. I want you to be shaped like Jesus. Now, if I start being shaped like Jesus, when everybody around me is not, you'll find it's really hard. Many years ago, I was very stupid as a, young, as a teenager of eight, 17, 18. I thought I had an idea uh, how to make friends. I know, I'll be like them. So I started smoking. Uh, by the way, did I tell you that I was an asthmatic? You know, what else could possibly go wrong with that? So I started smoking. I smoked a, a cigarette called Camel Cigarettes. There's a lot of jokes about Camel, but I can't tell you them. Uh, camel Cigarettes. Non-filter, just straight cigarettes. And I was smoking a cigarette. See, look, I, I was cool on steroids, let me tell you. I was so good. But then I learned, very quickly... My mother, I think, had some influence with this. That smoking was stupid for me. So I stopped. Everybody at work was smoking. Everybody smoking. I stopped. I had no idea that I'd caused such a revolution. Immediately, people started telling me, Jim, um, do, you, you're, do you want me to stop smoking? Why are, you, why are you judging us, Jim? Why do you think you're better because you're not smoking anymore? I hadn't said a thing. All I've done is no longer lit a bit of compost and started to breathe it. Because people pick that up. So when you start being allowing yourself to be shaped by Jesus, according to this here, which is what he wants us to do, to be like Jesus, to be imitators, people that might take umbrage at that and be offended. Do you think you're better than me? So then you may have a choice. Will I allow myself to continue to be shaped intentionally or will I fall away? Will I back away from that? Uh, I won't do anything about it. But then, friends, don't forget, not to decide is itself a decision. 
not to decide is to decide. So while the air around you is making you go one way, you've taken, you've put your stake in the ground and said, no, I'm doing this. As God's chosen person, I want to actually live the way Jesus says. In fact, I want to live a, a life worthy of the Lord, not to gain the Lord's approval. I already have his approval. But those who have gained his approval should live that way. In, in fact, Colossians, for those of you taking a few notes, might notice the same thing happened. Paul begins this way in chapter 1 at uh, verse 9. I'll read it out. Chapter 1, verse 9, uh, as Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, adding that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul is praying that the Colossian Christians will be shaped that way. And then in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which is sort of like a key verses in Colossians, chapter 2, 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, and that, that in other words, therefore, as you're a Christian, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, so live. It's, it's a, just a metaphor, metaphorical way of talking. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. And then you come down to chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, very simply, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Being a standout Christian. Powerful idea. And then he goes down, and we did a bit of this yesterday. He, uh, he narrows it down to the marriage bond of wives and husbands. Let's just dig into that one more time. Wives, verse, six, uh, verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Leslie was up here yesterday talking about submission. And very helpful, very good. Ask somebody what she said. But just pause it there. Because if we keep this shaping idea in our head, who is shaping the way wives should respond and express themselves in Brisbane? or in Cooper's Plain. Who's shaping them? And what shape are they trying to provide? So you haven't got to be too uh, uh, ignorant. You haven't got to be too locked away in a room for too long or just not taking notice to pick it up very, very quickly. As I watch my TV shows, I see that th there's a shaping going on there. Why, even this morning, I, uh, I just had a quick check um, on an, a, a news link I get from overseas where it says in America the Kellogg's cereal makers are now producing new boxes for cornflakes and all the other stuff, frosty flakes, whatever they are. And these new Kellogg's boxes have got a little game on them for children to play. Choose your own identity, choose your own gender, choose your own pronoun for preschoolers. 
Are you not offended by that? That's awful. Shaping. Powerful shaping. Into the minds of children. And there was a picture of the multicoloured box in pride colours. See, the shaping is always happening. We can't just say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to ignore those things. It's always in ways that you don't even figure it. And the, way to actually, and the way to actually work against that is not to do nothing, but to say, no, I want to be shaped not the wrong way. I want to be shaped the right way by God. I don't want to be covetous because that's idolatry. And anything that, that shapes me to become more and more covetous, I must be aware of that. So here it is, the wives... Submit to your husbands. So if, if a wife is being pushed to be more assertive, to be independent, to have her, quote unquote, own career so she can have her own income stream, so that she can have her own uh, independence, so the man can have his own income stream. In other words, that's not a marriage. That's just people who've kind of opened up a corner store and hoping that the lawyers have got their, their income stream separated. Now, how should a wife be shaped in her thinking? I'd want to advance that the short answer is by God. The longer answer would be, and we see what God has said in his, in his word. Because our, our society would say, don't be like that. Our daughter, who was an extremely good uh, uh, high school maths mistress, uh, in her school, when she had her first child, the first question she heard was, now, okay, three months is up, when are you coming back? Um, she's very polite, our daughter. She doesn't swear. But I think on that day, she swore on the inside. Are you crazy? God has blessed me with this little child. I am now, with my husband, I am charged with the responsibility of forming her character. Of leading her to Jesus, of answering her questions. I want her to see that she is able to grow up as a follower of Christ. And when number two came along, same deal. A bit later on, she will do some part time work. As Lisey did some part time work as we're having to support our kids and so on. But the, the world at large said, ignore the kids. On the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, which fortunately you don't get, today is an article about why I made the mistake of having children. That's the article. And the article in the Herald, I take it, is forming, helping to shape people's thinking to say, yes, I think I agree with that. The world will always push against what God has ultimately intended. Submission. That's what the wife is called upon to do. We learned about that in Ephesians uh, yesterday. It's also in Titus chapter 2, if you get a chance to read it, or 1 Peter chapter 3. In fact, the idea of uh, that uh, uh, submission is right through the Bible. But in Colossians, the submission word in Colossians here, in chapter 3, verse 18, if, if you allow me to put it in, in a grammatical way, the submission word is in the passive voice. It means that the submission is a voluntary thing. Submission in the Bible is not commanded. 
and a husband must never, ever command it of his wife. He has no, he has no right to do so, and God doesn't allow that. See, submission is the act of submitting in a voluntary way, done at the wife's initiative, not coerced by her husband. It's never demanded by the one to whom submission is given. See, wives, that's what the Bible is saying. The world will want to shape you differently. And you know how hard it is, don't you? Even when you hear me talking now, I'm not sure I agree with Jim. Oh, I wish the Bible didn't say that. And that's why I want to talk to men at this point about that matter. Men, seriously, we should pause just for a moment and see what that word is like from the wife's point of view. You see, it's very hard for a woman to be submissive when she's frustrated by her husband's indecision. It's very hard for a woman to be submissive when she's irritated by her husband's moodiness and his sulking. Very hard when she's frightened by his verbal abuse. It's very hard to be submissive when she's angered by his laziness. Very hard, very hard when she feels betrayed by his infidelity. Very hard when she feels demeaned and used by insensitive sex brought by her husband. Or when she's wearied by doing both his work and her work around the house. It's very hard to be submissive when she's humiliated by his childishness. When she feels a failure in the face of his unrelenting perfectionism. Or when she's insecure because he has not been affectionate and he's not been tender and he's even reluctant to touch her. Very hard to be submissive when she's disappointed by his lack of leadership in prayer and in Bible reading in the home. And when she's confronted by demanding and overbearing behaviours. I'll stop the list there. But there are more examples. On the other hand, men, on the other hand, men, did you know? It's much easier for our wives to be submissive when their husband has an uncompromising commitment to lead and to pastor and to strengthen Christian families. It's much easier to be submissive when a wife is conscious that he has her husband has her spiritual well-being at heart, that he only has eyes for you. It's much easier to be submissive when he's, when he's not influenced by what shape you are or how much is sagging. It's much easier to be submissive when he's the one who wants to bring the family to church, when he's the one who wants to lead in prayer, when he's the one who wants to lead the Bible, when he's the one who wants to talk about Jesus, when he's the one who is openly and actively speaking of resisting the world's attempts to shape him in a non-Christian way. It's much easier to be submissive when your husband is for you like Jesus is for the church. I'm not talking etiquette here. I'm not talking good manners. I'm talking scripture. 
submit to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. This is appropriate for someone who is Christian. Do not allow yourself to be influenced by caricatures of Christianity. And remember, it is fitting in the Lord. Incidentally, incidentally, friends, that's why it's very unwise for a Christian woman to marry a non-Christian man. Because he will not be committed to do any of those good things for you and for Jesus that I'm mentioning today. And on the other side too, uh, for a non-Christian woman to marry a Christian man. That may have been your experience in the past. Let me say, I'm very glad you're here. And I hope your marriage is going really well. But I'm talking about people who are moving towards marriage from a single position. When you realise what the responsibility of a Christian husband is, or a Christian wife is, how can an unbeliever bring that to bear? And again, and again, and again, and again, in my pastoral ministry, I've seen that sadly working out. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's the same love as God's love for his son in Colossians 1.13. It's the same love as God's love for his chosen people in Colossians 3 verse 12. And it's, the, it's, it's like the God-like character that is shown by all Christians not to one another. So when we get to Colossians chapter 3 verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's a command. Wake up. It's not a suggestion. There's no arbitration or adjudication to go on here to a compromised position like a trade union um, a, a disagreement. Love is a command. It's not a feeling. It's not something that you're allowed to turn off when you're behind at work or you notice that she's getting older or she gives voice to her, your wife gives voice to her fears and insecurities. You're commanded to love. And that is to do the greatest thing, even at the greatest personal cost. God is effectively saying to a husband, in this gospel-shaped marriage, in this gospel-shaped home, God is commanding the husband, will you act like my son in your marriage and give your life? Will you deliberately resist becoming angry or incensed at her? Will you put away anger, wrath, and put on patience and kindness, like it says there? And if you've got to learn what the word empathy means, then make some effort to work out what it means. In this command, God wants husbands to understand that this requires work, effort, energy, and intentional acts. That not to love like Christ will generate insecurity in your wife. That humility and service is called for. And that argument and power plays are to be ruled right out of court. Men, ask her if she feels let down. Ask her if she feels hurt. And when she says whatever, if it's yes or no, either way, show grace, show kindness, and both of you, husband, wife, or single person, be forgiven. Whatever it takes, that's the phrase in verses 18 and 19 for the wives and the husbands 
Whatever it takes, please God, whatever it takes, help the men and women in CPE who are married to allow their lives to be shaped by your spirit from your word that they might honour you and be world shapers in turn. Although we don't use the word world shaper, do we? What's the word we use on Instagram? Pardon? Influencer. Maybe we should retranslate the Bible. Gospel influence people, not gospel shapers. But that's what God is saying. Isn't that good news? See, everything God says is for our good and for our comfort. It is. May God help you to be shaped by him for his glory and for the reaching of others. Thank you.